Uh, welcome everyone to Transformation Intensive Movement 2, Week 11, The Incarnation and Birth of Jesus. Um, I wonder if it might be good for us just to begin with prayer today, this morning. What, what You can tell right now that I am also in need of prayer. I don't know whether it's morning, afternoon, or evening. Maybe you feel that way too. So I want to um, encourage you just to relax uh, for a minute here and make yourself comfortable in your seat. Um, let's do this. I will ask you just from the get-go, would you uh, put anything that might be in your lap um, under your seat? And I know some of us have preferences for how we feel comfortable, but for tonight, would you just put both feet flat on the floor? Unless you're sitting on the floor, in which case, just be comfortable, please. I invite you to close your eyes and just to focus on your breath for a moment. If you would breathe in through your nose, but out through your mouth. Uh, inhale for a count of three, hold it for a second, and then exhale through your mouth also in a count of three. Just repeat that. Give you about a minute and a half to breathe in through your nose, a count of three, hold it, and breathe out through your mouth for a count of three. Hold it and then repeat. One more inhalation through your nose. One, two, three. Hold it. Exhale through your mouth. One, two, three. If you keep your eyes closed and turn your palms, palms side down on your thighs. Recalling to mind that the Lord is with us, that he is here in this room, that he is filling the bodies of us human beings who, are come, who have come together in his name. And turn your palms up. Just to signal your openness to the Lord. Then palms down, just releasing all the cares of the day, naming them and releasing them, letting them go through your legs into the floor, into the depths of the earth, safe in God's hands.
and then palms up, opening your hearts to the love of God for you, for his presence here with us. Come, Holy Spirit, as we enter into this formal contemplation of the life of Jesus Christ, beginning with the incarnation, we offer to you our imagination, our memories, the knowledge that we have of scripture and of theology. We offer all of these things up to you and ask that in the weeks and months ahead that you would baptize our, our imaginations with the images of scripture, that for any of us whose imaginations have grown dull, that you would awaken them. For any whose imaginations have become polluted, that you would bring bright, clear, fresh, cleansing water into every imagination. Lord, we begin by just saying that apart from the grace of your Holy Spirit, um, we can't pray well and we cannot hear what you would say to us. And so we say, come, Holy Spirit, and take us places in prayer that we could not have hoped for or desired or expressed until now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I think what I'd like to do is to go a little bit backward and first tell you about the book that is on your that was on your chair. Um this book, God's Voice Within by Mark uh, Thibodeau, I, I think is probably one of the most readable books on Ignatian discernment. Um, you may feel a little daunted by its length, but let me assure you, it's actually a pretty easy read. Not the kind of, it's not, they're not dense paragraphs where you have to th think very carefully about every word that you read. Um, and we will read it little by little. Um, I've given you just a simple um, guide here for how you might begin praying with this book. And I would envision this would happen sometime after Christmas for most of you, unless you have leisure to read. It's really up to you. The most important thing we're really doing is the imaginative contemplations on the Gospels. So if you actually get to the point where you have to choose between reading this book and doing the prayer work with the uh, birth narratives, please choose the prayer work with the birth narratives over reading uh, the book. You can catch up and skim when we resume in January if you need to. So um, just one word about the book. Um, it is written for um, a Roman Catholic audience, and so you may come across a term or two that seem unfamiliar or mention of a practice that you've never heard of before, uh, please don't fret over that or let it become a stumbling block for you. Um, I hope in many cases as you're reading and you think, hmm, what does that mean? That you'll just supplement a dynamic equivalent from your own spiritual tradition. Please don't let the 
sort of unfamiliarity or the foreignness of the language get in the way of your taking in everything this book has to offer. Uh, my suggestion for you when you get to it is that uh, you would read this just like in the same place where you have your prayer time. You don't have to do that. Maybe your travel is such that you're going to be reading this on an airplane or in a car trip. It doesn't matter. Um, but if you can read some of it prayerfully uh, in the place that you've set aside for prayer, that would be great. And please don't hesitate. These are your copies, so don't hesitate to write in them or to, um, to keep notes on things in your journal. Um, so really, this is fairly simple. Um, primarily, I'd like you to be reading through page 58. And uh, this is all listed here. You don't need to write that down. And you'll see there's a prayer exercise on, on uh, uh, page 57 and 58 called The True Spirit in My Life. And uh, that would be the only prayer exercise that you could kind of have in the back of your mind. You don't actually have to do the exercise, but read that first so that it'll give you an idea of what you're looking for as you read the first 50 pages or so of that. Um, I would encourage you to um, continue praying the daily examen throughout. And then I've listed some passages here for praying with scripture as well. Um, if you want to use the daily office lectionary or something like that, please feel free to do that. But this does give you some suggestions. If you finish with the rest of the other uh, TI material, you'll have this to work with should you run out. Because we will be away from each other for three weeks. So that's a long time. But then again, there's Christmas and New Year's there, holidays which are not always terribly conducive to regularity in our prayer lives. All right, so that's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, read it carefully, and if you have questions or concerns, don't hesitate to email me, and I'll do my best to answer them. All right. So we are in our TI notebooks now, um, all the way up to page 64. All right, let me see just a little bit about the material, and then I want to give you a little pep talk about imaginative prayer. Um, you'll notice that there's relatively small amount of scripture involved in these two weeks. There's two um, sets, the first for contemplating the incarnation and the second for contemplating the annunciation. And that's because right now we're actually beginning to slow down our prayer, much less by way of quantity, and we'll be we'll we'll be going um, deeper. I want to encourage you to uh, take a look at um, to read very carefully uh, William Berry's chapter on imaginative prayer in the book. Uh, it's, it's just called Ignatian Contemplations of the Gospels. So that's chapter six in Finding God of All Things. Um, and then in addition to that, this week we've um, included some things that I hope will be just spark your imagination and help you with your prayer. Um, and these um, include, first of all, an imaginative 
prayer guide to give you just kind of an idea of the sorts of wonderings that we have that we bring to prayer. And then uh, this wonderful icon, the hospitality of, A of Abraham uh, by Rublev. If you've never prayed with an icon, this might be a fun time to uh, give that a whirl. And I've included some um, information here from a group called the Society of St. John the Evangelist. This is a more Western approach to praying with icons rather than Eastern. And you might find it a little more accessible if the Eastern way of praying is too much for you. Um, including um, some notes on that particular icon. And then there's Advent poetry. Um, poetry is a great example of the imagination at work writing poetry, whether it's um, prose uh, uh, or whether it's, whether it's a, a written poem or whether it's um, lyrics to a song. Uh, poetry is a way that we sort of bring everything together and exercise our imagination. And I hope that this Advent poetry will help you to get into the, the birth and nativity narratives in a different way. Um, something I really enjoy pointing out is that these... Um, I think all but one of these poems are written by a man, and yet he's getting really into sort of the nitty-gritties of babies being born. And so you can tell that and he's actually imagining the nativity as Mary's experiencing it, and then her looking back on the nativity as an old lady. So, I mean, this is a great example of imagination, right? Because this is a man imagining he's an old lady looking back on... Uh, giving birth to the baby Jesus. So imagination helps us to actually transcend our natural limitations. And you never know where your imagine may, imagination may take you in prayer. But I hope that these poems are little sparks to get your, um, your imagination going. All right. Um, I'd like to give you um, just a little primer on using the imagination in prayer. Um, and I, I hope that this will just motivate you and encourage you to press in with a lot of faith and hope as to what can happen as you engage your uh, imagination in prayer. Uh, first of all, just a word about imagination. I don't know if any of you would say, you know, I'm actually not a very imaginative person. Um, you may say that now, but there was a time when you were very imaginative, and that's when you were a child. Um, unless you have some very... I've actually never heard of a disability that makes a child unimaginative. Um, imagination is just part of how a child experiences um, the world. So at one point in time, we were all very imaginative. It's there. Um, the capacity to imagine is deeply embedded in your neurology and who you are as a human being. So please come into this work of imagination knowing that it's there. It might just need to be awakened, it might be slumbering, or sleeping, or lazy, or uh, preoccupied with less fruitful um, focus for your imagination, but you do have an imagination. So let me just encourage you um, that you're actually not starting with a handicap, you already, you, you, you can do this. Imagination is, um, in philosophy, often um, there's a distinction between what's called active imagination, which is a kind of thing that we initiate, and something that's called passive imagination, which is where 
our imagine sort of imagination sort of runs off in its in its own direction, or it may come under the influence of the Holy Spirit. So let me give you a couple of uh, examples of active imagination. The first one would be um, visualization. If I say Santa Claus, I think you can probably evoke an image in your imagination of your particular Santa Claus, um, or maybe a half a dozen different Santa Clauses that you like. Um, if I mention a familiar character from a children's story like Peter Rabbit, um, you can probably evoke an image of Peter Rabbit. That, that's a visualization. If I were to say, um, imagine right now uh, what you see when you walk into your house or your apartment or your dorm room, um, you could probably recall using your memory, you could kind of reconstruct the entryway to your living space. That's, that's visualization. That's something that's completely within our power and our capacity to do. And so, of course, when we read scripture, we can do our best to sort of visualize um, what's happening uh, in the text. Uh, I don't know if you had this experience as a child, but when a story was being read to me, I would sometimes get so caught up in the story, my imagination was sort of, you know, start taking over, and I would see things and imagine things, things very vividly. I mean, that's the wonder, right, of a beautiful story and engaging stories that we get completely activated. But we can visualize these things willfully. Um, the second is, is empathy. Empathy is another kind of active uh, imagination. Um, if you have, and we did this when we were praying with the prodigal son, um, but when we laugh at a joke or we cry at a sad story, you know, we're, we're being, that, that's actually an imaginative um, experience. Empathy is part of that. And the Holy Spirit really rests on uh, that and can use those, those powers of empathy. And then finally is um, memory. Memory and, uh, and visualization are quite similar, really. Um, but memory has a way of sort of drawing on previous experiences, and uh, our memories can kind of handpick them and select them and bring them to our attention. So when you're praying with the gospel stories, and all of a sudden you remember something really vividly from your past, don't assume it's a distraction. It might be the Holy Spirit resting on your imagination and uh, helping you to make uh, connections with the text. So all of those are examples of active imagination. Um, passive imagination or that really kind of Holy Spirit birthed imagination I think is a little difficult to put into words. Um, and as you begin to experiment with imaginative prayer, you'll know when, a, when, when something is given to you in imagination that's just a gift. Um, you're like, I didn't think that up. <laughs> that was something very special from the Lord. And it, it, could, it could touch you emotionally. Um, it could touch your creativity. Sometimes people end up writing um, or painting or something like that. Um, but but you'll, you'll feel it coming sort of from outside you, activating what's in you, but creating something brand new. Um, something that has been very helpful to me, and I'll read you an example of this, is uh, when we're um, praying imaginatively with a passage of scripture, you can imagine that you're a playwright. So if we had a group of actors here and we said, 
you know what we're going to do? We're going to reenact the nativity. You know, who wants to be Mary? Who wants to be Joseph? You know, who wants to be the donkey? You know, uh, <laughs> just like, well, you know, that you, any like little nativity tr play that you see. And if you were giving Mary instructions, you might say, this is how I want you to sit. These are the emotions that you should show on your face. You can actually enter into the gospel narratives like that, like a playwright, and just start kind of writing the play. Um, just get it started and see where it goes. And you, you can get better at it. Um, I want to give you a uh, very vulnerable uh, picture into uh, the McIntyre family's ambivalent relationship with machinery. Um, my husband's uh, father didn't really have a father, so no one taught his father how to do dad things. So no one ever taught my husband how to do dad things. So my husband, for example, does not know how to fix a lawnmower. My dad, he knew how to do all that kind of stuff, but my husband doesn't. So um, this is what happens every spring. Um, we, my husband pulls that lawnmower out of the garage that's been sitting in the cold garage all winter, and he starts cranking on that thing in hopes that this year it will start. Because if it doesn't start, we might need to buy a new lawnmower. And uh, if you've ever started, um, well, snowblower, I guess, is a similar sort of thing. But unless, it's, unless the engine and the whole mechanism is in really good shape, sometimes you really have to work to get that like electrical connection to like spark the gasoline to get that motor going. And um, I mean, my husband sometimes like he's got like blisters on his hands from you know you know yanking that thing and the. Uh, are most motors, these simple kind of motors, you know, they have this little thing you can push to give a little injection of gas. You know, you pump that thing six times, and then you pull it, and you pump it, and you pull it, and you just keep doing it, you know? And then the moment comes when you hear this little pop, pop, and you're like, ah, it's going to start, you know? And then you're like all enthused to pull harder. Um, this is a lot very similar to the way it is with our imaginations. You know, we start, we're like yanking on this thing. It's like nothing is happening. I think I'm going to need a new mower. Um, you can do a lot of things to try to, to um, invest your full energy, your will, into engaging imaginatively um, with scripture. And um, there are a few things that you can do that are uh, really practical. Um, Ignatius actually had a really brilliant, simple idea, and that was he actually encouraged us to set the mood in prayer. So, for example, he'll say, you know, if you're meditating on the passion, you probably don't want to be, like, out by the pool with a cold drink in your hand while you're meditating on the passion. It's like, you should go in your room and, like, shut the blinds and enter into the darkness of that time. Like, set the mood for your prayer. And we, we can do that in our, you know, even changing something up in the place where we pray. You know, light a different candle, get an image out. Most of the time, uh, as, I, as I entered into this second movement of the spiritual exercises, I would have some kind of an image from art, from, you know, art history that would depict a particular scene. Um, and you can Google any of these things. If you Google Annunciation, Visitation, um, you will get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pieces of art that have that artists have been inspired by these texts. So Christy's going to put a couple up for you.
just to give you an example of what you might find out there. Um, so these are a few that I really like. Um, John Collier, um, this is the Annunciation. Um, you'll see uh, Mary as a schoolgirl. And how do we know it's Mary? She's, she's dressed in blue. And what about those flowers, those lilies, okay? So this is actually a very classic. This is classic symbols of Marian archetype, archetypal images here. And yet it's, it's done very um, contemporarily. She's like in a little sub, in a suburban town, it looks like to me. So a little image like that can sometimes be the image that can spark the beginning of your, um, of your imaginative contemplation. It's not cheating, okay? You don't have to like start with a, like, a, a blank screen and just hope it comes up. Um, if you've ever been around an artist, they actually use reference images, okay? They very rarely just like start from nothing. Um, they want to they wanna imagine how other artists have looked at this over time and through the ages. Um, and the same is true with us in imaginative prayer. It is not cheating to find some images from elsewhere. I'll give you a couple more. This is a, level, a lovely one called the Annunciation. Um, if you look it up, th this one looks, I don't know, it's not the best take on this. It's actually a very powerful image, and you can find better ones than these. Um, I like it because here the angel is not, you know, has no wings and those sort of, you know, classic things. The, the angel is more like a pillar of light. And it may be that that, like, pillar of light, maybe that kind of sparks you in a way that the, like, the winged creature does not. Um, so taking a look at a variety of images can really help. Is that the last one? There's just a uh, close-up there. Uh, so don't don't hesitate to um, make make use of uh, Google Images to help you find things. Um, sometimes when I would uh, visit with my spiritual director, I would start by saying, you know, I, I I don't have much. I just have this one little sense of something, and she would often say, "That's I'm like that's all I got." She'd be like. That's great. That's all you need. Um, and sometimes she would actually encourage me to take that little bit that I had and then to move, to move forward with it. Um, imagination starts with wondering. So wondering questions are really helpful. Anyone has been in children's worship at Res when they use the little figures? Um, one of the questions that's, that will be asked is, you know, I wonder... When we start asking those I wonder questions, it can open up our imagination. So I'm going to read to you a little um, something that I wrote when I was um, uh, meditating on the journey from um, the journey that uh, uh, Jesus and Mary uh, took on their way to Bethlehem. It was a 70-mile journey. You know, like 70 miles was a long time back then. Um, I'm assuming they walked a lot of that, or even if they were on an animal, that was a long, long time. And um, so I started just wondering, you know, wondering what was that long walk like for Joseph and Mary. And uh, when I was going through the exercises, we, we were not with the church calendar, 
So this was actually May. So I was walking in the marsh in May. And you'll notice, like, I wasn't, like, uh, praying with my eyes closed. This was something that came kind of unbidden and unexpected uh, to me as I walked in the marsh. May 22nd. I walked in the Lincoln Marsh today with my dogs. I asked for the grace to enter into the narrative of the journey to Jerusalem. It was a beautiful evening, and I wondered what it was like for Joseph and Mary when they stopped to rest along the way. I noticed the sky, the leaves rustling in the wind, and then I came upon a family of Canada geese. I imagined what it might have been like if Joseph and Mary had rested in a similar place on their journey. This is what I um, composed as I was walking. Mary and Joseph, did you stop to rest along the way? Did you notice the blue sky above your heads? The leaves rustling in the wind and the songs of the birds? Surely the birds in the trees knew that their maker was nearby, veiled in the womb of Mary. Mary and Joseph, did you see any animal families like this family of geese before me now? Did you ask each other the kinds of questions that expectant parents ask each other? Joseph, look at the six goslings. How many children will the Lord give us? I look at Joseph watching the gander, alert and watchful and protective. I ask Joseph, Joseph, can you watch over Mary and this child with the care this creature shows to his family? To my surprise, Joseph answered, I will, the Lord being my helper. I have to say this is the first time I dared do any kind of colloquy with a Bible character. And uh, <laughs> it's very safe, right? He said some words from the liturgy. I mean, that can't be too bad, right? Uh, I will, the Lord being my helper. As my dogs became restless to move along, I asked, Joseph, Mary, did dogs tag along with you? I love manger scenes when the artist places a dog among the beasts. Surely, like the birds and the trees, the dogs also would see the glory that is invisible to us fallen ones. My dogs surely would have joined you all the way to Bethlehem. As I watch a in, the, in the marsh, a teenage couple watching birds together, uh, their body language um, and everything about them says love and chastity. I continue, Mary and Joseph, what a long time you had to talk on the road. Did you laugh together? Did you snap at one another when you grew weary? Did that journey allow you to lay a foundation of friendship to sustain you through all that would soon come upon you. That was the end of that 
um, I wrote, it seems to me that the long journey was an unexpe unexpected gift of grace to this little family. Lord, open my eyes and hearts to see and receive all your gifts of grace upon the journey of my life. So it's just a, that's a wondering. It's an imaginative, I'm using that, that gift of wondering to help me connect imaginatively uh, with this text. I want to give you just a sense, uh, I'm going to read a little bit more here and then I'll, I, I want to introduce the exercises for this week and then George is going to lead us in an examen, I mean in a uh, Lectio Divina. Um, there's a lot of sputtering in this part of my uh, beginning to uh, pray imaginatively with scripture. I actually had never done this before. My only uh, exposure to imaginative prayer had been like that diving for desire exercise that we did, I'd been exposed to those, but not when it's actually the, the, the text of the scripture sort of laying the, the foundation for the imagination. So um, this is um, 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 imagining, um, uh, first of all, uh, the birth of, of Jesus. And uh, it was, I had recently been at a, at a birth of a, a friend a friend, uh, friend's baby, and so I had that, that memory was still pretty vivid in my mind, which helped me to enter into this. So it's, a, again, an example of the Holy Spirit resting on memory. Um, as I imagined this in prayer, I walked through the streets of Bethlehem looking for Joseph and Mary. Joseph greeted me at the door and welcomed me. Mary seemed to be expecting me and also welcomed me. It seemed like there were others there as well. When the baby breached and then cried out, there were tears all around. The wonder and awe of new life. The ordinariness of the infant. Mary asked me, do you want to hold him? He was warm and healthy and alert his eyes dark brown, almost black, and his skin olive with the chalky paste of the womb still upon his skin. So small and lightweight and fragile, I held him close to my heart and felt the presence of the Lord and my heart rate increasing as I prayed and then settling down once again. Um, here you can see the Holy Spirit just resting on my memory, right? I'm remembering the birth of this little baby, that chalky whiteness. Um, does this mean that like Val McIntyre received a revelation that Jesus' eyes were dark brown and almost black? No, uh, that's not what this means. Uh, we, are in, we are not receiving new revelation uh, when we're praying imaginatively with text. Um, we're just using our imagination as a tool to explore the text. Um, it is not like um, Joseph Smith writing the Book of Mormon. Um, I don't know if any of you ever saw this episode of, um, uh, I can't remember the name of the cartoon now, but you know he sticks his head in the hat and has his special glasses on, you know, and he writes the Book of Mormon. Like, that's not what we're doing in imaginative prayer. Um, <laughs> we, we are South Park. It's South Park. I know, that's, it's, that's like, I shouldn't even confess that I've ever watched South Park, but it is a South Park episode that's very funny. Um, 
I may have shown it in my in a class at, at COD, and they really appreciated it. So, <laughs> um, but that's not what we're doing here. We're not getting new revelation. Um, I, I didn't like. I'm not going to like publish a book. I was praying, and God showed me that Jesus' eyes were brown. You know, it's like, no, uh, where I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to rest upon my imagination. All right. So you'll see here that I'm starting to get the hang of it a little bit. This is the next day, and I'm praying with the shepherds in the field. And you'll see I have kind of a false start, and then I end up going back to it. Um, the shepherds in the field. I noticed, I noticed the brightness of the starry night, campfires nearby, and in the distance, the murmur of animal and human voices. The fatigue and good humor of the shepherds and their ragged appearance. My desire to hear the songs of the angels. In my prayer time, I listened to Shepherds in the Field by Handel, by, uh, from Handel's Messiah. And I remembered the wonder of angelic song that seemed to accompany uh, me and my friends at various times in college, in different situations. Uh, the sweet remembrance of angelic song that seemed to be added to human song. How I would love for just a few seconds to hear the angel's song, glorifying God and announcing the birth of Christ. Holy Spirit, open my ears. I thank you that the angels all around your throne remember these songs as though they heard them just moments ago. Draw me into your memories of this song. Sing it to me as you heard it uh, sung to the shepherds so that I can rise up and run to see the Christ child. Um, shepherds, please come and tell me, sing to me the songs you heard. Tell me what it was like. Draw me into this story. Angels, hosts of angels, please sing this song to me again that I might run with uh, the shepherds to see the Christ child. It was a dud. Nothing happened. So I'm like, I want to hear those angels singing. You know, and it's like, nothing. <laughs> but it's fine. I mean, desi my desire, right, is, is coming up in the prayer. So I was kind of like, oh, well. <laughs> uh, maybe I won't... Uh, I have nothing to say to my listening group, you know. Um. <laughs> uh, so the next day I try again. Uh, back to the shepherds. They seem to me to be coarse but good men. I ask if I can come along. And the response is, I, matey, come along. Shepherds speak doing pirate speak. <laughs> As you can see, now my imagination is, you know, we're, we're starting to get a little more movement here with the imagination. <laughs> As we enter the manger, I see the leader of the shepherds remove his hat. I can see the tan line on his forehead where part of his skin has been protected from the sun. He struggles inarticulately to tell Joseph and Mary 
what the shepherds saw and heard. Mary is overwhelmed with the stress of having so many smelly, talkative visitors crowding into such a small space. Mary hesitates, but then she asks the shepherd if he wants to hold the baby who is now asleep. Some of the other shepherds kneel down near Mary, and one reaches out his hands to receive the tiny bundle. Suddenly, all the chatter stops, and a profound silence descends. It is only then that I notice the animal noises from the shadows, hooves shifting, snorting, twitching, panting. I can't see the dogs, but I can hear them. It seems as though the cave is packed with shepherds, but there are more outside longing for a glimpse of what is happening inside. The silence has come over them as well. The leader of the shepherd says, please, Mary, can we take the baby outside? So many are waiting to see him. She ascents and the shepherd, radiant with joy, gently carries the baby outside under the light of the stars and the moon so everyone can catch, catch a glimpse of the baby. Many tears, weeping, laughter, exclamations of wonder. Even the stars seem to have their eyes open to gaze upon the sleeping baby. I look at his wee toes. <laughs> After some time, the shepherds hand the baby to me. You should take him back to his mother now. I take the baby in my arms and find that Mary has fallen asleep. Joseph says, you hold the baby now so Mary can rest. Then as Ignatius instructs a little colloquy uh, at the end. Now the father's words to me, yes, little one. When you ask me, I will always send the Holy Spirit from Jesus. Valerie, I receive your love. I am quiet in your, quieted in your love and invite you to enter into my rest. And then a PS at the end. I had the experience of knowing that the baby Jesus bonded with me and I with him. So, dig in there try this when it doesn't work you know keep pulling on that on that cord you know check those spark plugs prime that pump uh, uh come at it with um with with uh, determination because really this is all about jesus revealing himself to us and he is so much more eager to reveal himself than we are 
to, um, to experience what he has to give us. All right, just two important exercises for me to mention to you. Um, the first one is um, uh, I'll read you a little bit of the text. Uh, let me phrase it this way. These are two important exercises, and there's an interesting uh, word in the Spanish, which I will mispronounce, uh, mirar, M-I-R-A-R. Um, remember what, that exercise that we've done, looking at God, looking at me? It's this um, looking and um, in the same way that we practice, like, letting God look at us while we look at him, there's now these two exercises that build on that where we um, enter with God to look on the world that is um, darkened by sin um, before the incarnation. So Ignatius wants us to um, imagine the councils of the Trinity sort of coming up with this idea of the incarnation, thus that icon of, of the Trinity, where you can sort of imagine the three persons of the Trinity sitting around a table um, having a conversation. So the first is that God looking at the world with love, and then the second is in this exercise with the baby Jesus, that we are letting the baby Jesus look at us, and we are looking at um, um, Jesus. So um, let me read you just a paragraph from the original instructions from Ignatius. He says, uh, first is to bring up the narrative of the thing which I have to contemplate. Uh, here it is how the three persons looked out at the planar circuit of all the world full of men and women, and how, seeing that they were all going down to hell, it is determined in their eternity that the second person shall become a man to save the human race, so that in the fullness of time they sent the angel Gabriel to Our Lady." So I, I love this, where this kind of this like grand movement, uh, this kind of time outside of time, where uh, God begins contemplating and planning the, um, the incarnation, not like, like 10 years before Jesus was born, but way at the beginning. Um, as soon as man is, mankind has fallen, this conversation begins. Um, and then the answer is, is the Annunciation, this appearance of uh, the angel Gabriel to, to Mary. Um, I found this really um, difficult uh, for two reasons. One, it, it is, it's a little abstract, and so it's not directly a Bible scene. It's just something that we would imply um, that God had a plan, and he might want to let us in to how he was feeling about the world. Um, but the second one was when I was led in this in an imaginative way, the image that immediately came to mind was um, standing up at the top of whatever the building is called now. It used to be at the Sears Tower. What's it called now? The Willis Tower. So I, um, in my imagination, I was like with Jesus standing up there at night, you know, when you can see those lights, like all the way to the horizon. And uh, I was thinking... Every one of those lights represents at least one person in Chicagoland, and I tell you, there aren't very many of them who are Christians, and many of them are um, suffering um, uh, abuse, neglect, all kinds of things. And like thinking about that many people in need all at once, this was not very pleasant. This was very overwhelming. Um, I do a lot of pastoral care. I know how awful human life can the misery of a human life, um, sinning and sinned against. 
And um, it was just a little too much for me to try to look at the world the way Ignatius is saying, try to imagine how God looks at the world. Um, I, this was one of the few times I actually like called my spiritual director and I'm like, I'm really having a hard time with this. What was really interesting is my initial reason why I was having a hard time was a very abstracted theological reason. I wrote this in my journal. You know, it's like Thomas Aquinas and the mission of the Trinity, blah, 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 blah. You know, it was like, it just kicked me into my defensive, into a defensive intellectual, over-intellectualization. Um, and I had to like back off from that and say, actually, the reason this is hard for me is because I'm emotionally overwhelmed. Um, and it was interesting the way that the, the, the Lord started to break into that. I was actually at a holiday concert with my daughter and um, a band concert. And I suddenly just had this intuition that like <laughs> if every star in the universe had a fallen planet circling it, you know, God would find a way. You know, all I can see is like the edge of the perimeter, you know, in Chicagoland. You know, God sees the whole thing um, that God would find a way. I just had this this revelation of the goodness of God. Um, and the second time I prayed with it really, really seriously was this summer. And I was at a retreat house that had this kind of interesting thing in the front where they had, um, instead of a, a whole cross, they just had the, the corpus, the body of Christ, like suspended, you know, suffering. And um, just on a little ledge underneath was just an ordinary little globe, you know, the kind that you spin. And um, there was something about that of sort of like getting into that image of almost like Jesus on the cross looking at this globe, kind of taking it in all in one, uh, one fell swoop. Um, and I just had that that sense of the Trinity literally like kind of taking that clo that that globe and like just like holding it close um, to the heart. So it was a totally different um, ex a totally different experience of that. That may not be what happens to you, um, but I just want to give you that sort of imaginative freedom to um, to enter into this as uh, God's heart for the world. Um, where he sees the incarnation as the solution to that. And then finally, very uh, important is this bonding with uh, the baby Jesus. I've heard over and over again from different people instructing uh, others about the spiritual exercises to really move in that direction. So I just encourage you, if there are any little babies in your life right now, um, whether it's your own or a niece or nephew or... Um, a grandchild or just your friend's baby, you know, look for some opportunities to hold babies maybe <laughs> uh, while you're working on this um, just to give you that very tactile sense of that, of that bond and connection that we have with uh, babies to bring them in. Um, uh, the, the nun that first uh, uh, explained this exercise uh, to me related this story of being on a retreat when they were basically told, you know, go out and pray and don't come back until you hold the baby. And um, <laughs> she's a very feisty kind of nun that doesn't really appreciate being told what to do. And um, she, she was like, I don't even like children. You know, it's like, this is really hard. But like, she was just determined she was going to do her best, you know, to hold that baby and bond eye to eye with that baby. So uh, imagination can help us uh, to do that. There's those basic human attachments that we make with people, we also make with God. So 
uh, that's, that's where we're going. Um, so George is going to come now and lead us in Electio. And our, our, our hope when we planned this evening is George is going to kind of have you there in the darkness with God's grief over the world. And then um, Karis is going to lead us in music right after that to bring us up to that moment of um, the enunciation of Mary's yes to the angel Gabriel. All right, get comfortable. I know you're, you're, you're a little tired. You can shift around, get the circulation because you're gonna go quiet here for a couple of minutes. So get yourself comfortable. You might wanna pull out your journal. You're not really gonna need anything else. And we're just going to look at a couple of verses. And when we do the imaginative prayer, when we do like this Lectio Divina, you know, the scripture is the thing that keeps us on firm ground, right? I mean, our imaginations, that's great. And, and what God gives you in your imagination is a wonderful thing. But the scripture is what really grounds us. And I love to put things in context, right? Context, you know, when it comes to biblical interpretation, context is king, right? That's... There's no other, almost, if you got that rule, you pretty much got it all. So when you're doing these, like we're going to do it, this is kind of a difficult one, right? We're just going to start out in Genesis, right? But we're getting ready to look at the incarnation, right? What God has done for us in Christ. And um, you really got to see the darkness before you can really appreciate the light. So we're going to take a minute. We're going to look at this context, which is darkness. So, yeah, Plectio Divina, she's got it all going there. So, um, so we're going back before the flood, right, to the time before Noah. And, uh, and what we're really shooting for here is, and this is what makes this one hard, it's really abstract, right? It's really hard to set the scene. You're trying to experience what God experienced and felt looking down at our world. Yeah. So we'll get, get right on it and let you feel the... So get comfortable. And if you remember, we were gonna read, I'm going to read a passage to you, just three verses. I'm going to read it to you four times. The first time through, and I'll give a little preface to this, but the first time through is just reading. I'm just going to read the passage, and you just see what the Holy Spirit lights up for you, right? Maybe one word, maybe a short phrase. Then the second time through, right, you've read the passage, you're going to get a chance to, to, you know, really actively think about what it is that God lit up. You can ask I wonder questions. You can think about other scripture references. I'll even look stuff up during this portion. But then the third time through, it's the time where you pray back to God, right? You know, to add to what Val said, this is a little bit interactive. It's not like watching TV, right? You can ask a question. You can, you know, you're there. You can talk. And then the third time, the final time through, the fourth time through, then we're just going to stop. Just going to try and, I don't know if passive is the right word, but you're going to try and shut down all the analytic and just be there with the Lord and sit with it. So let's do it. Get comfortable, relax. Let me pray before we begin. Lord, we pray for your spirit to become the spotlight that illumines the text for us, we pray for our imaginations that uh, you would give them a shot of that gasoline and a good pull that you'd get them started for us. And we trust that you'll do it and speak to us. Amen. 
All right, the first time through. Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his hearts was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. So the second reading, just meditate on whatever it is the Lord highlighted for you. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them.
now. I'll read the passage a third time and want you to pray for whatever the word and the spirit have generated in your hearts. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his hearts was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. then one last reading and we'll just sit sit with the Lord trying to just sit and contemplate just sit in quiet contemplation the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his hearts was only evil continually and the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart so the Lord said I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the earth, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them.
If you've got something that you'd like to write in your journal, make a note now. Hopefully the music will push back the darkness a little bit.